please hit like, share, and subscribe. Now enjoy the Practical Guitarist Podcast. Jim, we come <laughs> to you. Relative, we come to you relative. on two very special occasions. Yeah. It is Jim's birthday, number one. Happy birthday! And number two, it is tax day. It is tax day. <laughs> you got screwed, my friend. <laughs> it is tax day, and you got screwed because it's also yep. your birthday. That's it. Do I... you guys want to go out? No, I'm busy. I got to file yeah, my taxes. No, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Um, I'm going to be eating right ramen noodles for a year. <laughs> well, it was funny. So to share our, with uh, our listeners the uh, fiasco that you just witnessed, um, yeah. Jim was Jim and I were talking about taxes, which we're not going to divulge any of our tax information other than to say um, TurboTax just let me know that my stuff is rejected from like two weeks ago um, because I logged in and looked. There was no email notification, no, no text message, nothing. So had I not looked, I would have gotten dinged for penalties. Um, so I just did my whole, you know, state pin code thing to file, and it's it's all done now. So, yeah, hopefully. Good I'll get news. A, it's been accepted. Yeah, hopefully I'll get a text here in a minute myself. Um, so a couple things. Uh, Jim, I'm going to Vegas um, next week. So the 20, I'll be, I'll be gone from the 1st through the 5th or 6th or whatever of June. Okay. And um, so we'll have so we'll have we'll episodes in the can. This will be you guys will all be hearing about this posthumously. But, but Jim and I really didn't have the pre-show conversation. So. Um. <clears throat> anyway, uh, yeah. So we're gonna switch the episode format up a little bit. We're gonna st- we're gonna go to an hour episode, and we're gonna try to do yep. it in better blocks, so that we can split content up and have. Um, and if and if it becomes that becomes an issue, we're not really focusing on that so much as to make sure that we can try to. Um, have shorter episodes, but with better content, um, right. and try to get to the heart of a matter more quickly, I guess. Um, so anyway, Jim, what do you, what do you want to talk about this? Episode? I got, I got plenty, but, um, I'll let All you right, start so us off. I'm going to start off by talking about, uh, I'm going to start our little timer here. I, the fact that one can not like a paddle for oneself <laughs> and not like the things that are going on with it and still think it's a good idea for other people and still think it's actually a good thing. And I want to talk to that because I put something in the group about Wampler's um, new, uh, what the heck is the name of it? It's not important. I don't Some even remember. It, it has the Tumnus and the Pinnacle, which are two great pedals, right? I mean, we could agree on that. Um the pinnacle being a uh, what a Marshall in the box, and the Tumnus being a one of the best, um, uh, right up there with the Archer and other uh, clones. Yeah, I've owned, so, I've owned the Pinnacle. I'll comment briefly. The Pinnacle is basically a JCM eight hundred, maybe with an extra gain stage. It's not vintage Marshall because they have another pedal right. that does that. It's the Plexi Drive, but that's the Plexi. So anyway, it seems to me like a great idea. The person that um, 
uh, it was made for. I can't remember his name. Um, didn't the name didn't really shock me or interest me, but um, it said he had done some changes. I got to be honest with you. Some of the changes that he made, it's like it, it, I was looking at a joystick today, and I want to put this into perspective. Look at a joystick today, and the person said, "Yeah, I like to put this this function on this, you know, this button." They were preference oriented. That's somebody's yeah. signature pedal, and, though, right? Right. It is a signature pedal. And the thing is, if you click, if you look at the group, you'll see who it was. Um, and <clears throat> I, I said to myself, I said, "Yeah." That's like a signature guitar. It's not for me. It's for you. Um, he wanted the center of one of the dials to... It's the, the gearbox, and that's Andy Wood's signature overdrive? There you go. Andy Wood's thing. Um, still don't know who he is. But not important, really. It, it doesn't matter if I know who he is. Um, he doesn't know who I am either. Um, <laughs> so it, it, the point that I'm making, though, is that, that, yeah, Andy wanted certain functions to do this and so on and so forth. Now, if you know anything about um, the way that the Tumnus works, there's two Tumnuses. I have the Tumnus Deluxe or the Tumnus yeah, Max. The, du the dual pedal with the extra functions. Yeah, the big one, and it's got six knobs or five knobs instead of three and and more switching and everything else. But what's what's important is that this person had this pedal designed for them mm -hmm. they improved the pedicle for them they improved the tumnus circuitry yeah. for them debatably improved that. they they well, tailored it and there really isn't an improved right. seal so here's the issue in the distinction of all this D good or better or or you know that whole thing like better or worse and here's the reality right. there is no better or worse this shit's nope. all subjective it's That's all right. subjective that's probably the name of this episode. It's all subjective. Um, mm -hmm. Because even though we use terms like this is better, I yep. think what we really mean is this is better at doing this thing that I'm doing with it right now. Because right. like nobody's going to buy it by, I'm trying to think, of, like a metal zone and expect to get blues rock out of it. You know what exactly. I mean? Exactly. Exactly. As a matter of fact, I heard something um, metal zone related. I'll talk to that in a second. But. So that's really what I was getting at is it isn't for me. The Tumnus, I, <clears throat> so the reason I bought the Tumnus, I'll let everybody know, is I wanted a Klon clone, right? I wanted one. But I wanted a Klon clone that was close. So it was between the Tumnus, the Archer, and I can't remember. Oh, Mjolnir? Yeah, the Mjolnir. So I had those two. Those two were my three tops. And I actually was going to get the Mjolnir. Right. That was the that was my topic at first. I watched a few videos and then I watched um, it just so happened. I don't know if it's, you know, fate or whatever. Kismet. Anderton's had a shootout of 10 different clones. You saw it. Yeah. And there was a real clone in there. And guess what? The only pedal that beat the clone in the clone clone beat. Thing was. Yeah. Beat. And then it's Pete Honore who admitted he didn't have a lot of actual clone experience. And more clone experience. Well, I'm, I'm just saying it beat, but that just depends on user preference. That that's exactly right. And what they had set up in the place at the time, the guitar he was using, the, exactly. the you know the exactly. rig he was plugged into, so on and so forth. But anyway, and it wasn't by a, it wasn't like oh the Tumnus was ten times better than all the other. No, it was like, eh. and it was the the three biggie or the the three big clones were the three I picked. 
And then there was the clone, the clan, the actual clan. But the Tumnus was the only one that he picked above the clan that he thought might be the clan. Well, the Mjolnir, so, the Mjolnir uh, who makes that? Do you remember? That's by, what's that company that, that names everything weird? Um, it starts with an M. Um, hold on. Because the spelling is so bad uh, as far as Mjolnir goes. Um, Mythos. Mythos, thank you. I knew it started with an M. I don't know why I was thinking about JHS with that, but I knew, but I knew like JHS doesn't yeah, well, make clones yeah. anymore because because nope. they have a deal with Bill Finnegan. They made him for a while while Bill couldn't, and then <clears throat> right, yeah, and so they don't make a clone not anymore. At least. Well, the well the Archer. Here's the funny part: the Archer is like made the KTR or the people that make Archer the J Rocket made the yep. KT the first run made of KTRs, KTR. that's right. which. According to Bill Finnegan, and that's a clon. It's, that it's is a clon. identical to the original clon, according to him. And, yep. And you can't say that the archer isn't really damn close. I'd say I'm sonically really... identical, because uh, yeah. obviously they're using um, yeah different surface different mount to... components rather than through hole. And... Right, which is something he wanted to do for the KTR. Right, right. <clears throat> so, um, my point is, I don't think that that. I think that what happens is in in the in our forum even is that people took that as in I didn't think it was a good pedal, mm. and I was just it's not exciting me. But I put it in there, and the last thing I said, you know how they always say everything before the butt doesn't count. So I have a butt. So all that stuff that I said before it shouldn't count, right? That's that's what's supposed to be. <laughs> and then at the end I said, depends how much you If you off. don't have these pedals in your your rig already or if you don't have these pedals in, you know, your your arsenal, you may want to consider this pedal. Yeah, that might and be a put cool device. The, yeah, and I put the darn link in there. Why would I put the link in there and and say you might want to add this if I didn't think it was a good idea? I don't think that, that you should check it out. The only issue I had with the way that it was presented was that my thought on this was because, you know, it was like, oh, well, it had, it had been improved because because even because even Wampler sort of said we improved the circuit. And I don't think he was necessarily talking about the controls. And that's what the way I took that. But then so I see this thing and you post it and I'm like, well, yeah, it may not sound any different than your combination in your house to your specific rig and like. But that's but here's the key takeaway from that. I'm making a commentary about people who buy pedals based on videos. Right. Um, I have done this and I have been sorely disappointed multiple times. And yeah. it you just have to realize like through your specific rig, also play style is important in that and and just understanding that those are often done in the best of circumstances. And mm -hmm. I am absolutely certain there are times where they are fake, um, which I won't I won't go into too much on the, the fakery side. But I know that there's been at least one pedal builder who has been accused of using an amplifier in place of his amp in the box pedal and never amp and then and never answered for it. Um, yeah. So he sold a billion of them since. So I have to imagine they're not bad or anything, but it's just, you know, it's it was like. Somebody accused him of that, and then he never answered it, which is okay because, like, at some point, you, you can't – you got to ignore the trolls, right? Right, um, right. But it was just – it was a weird weird situation, and then there's been some other sketchy behavior in that, pat, in that past too, which I think may have brought the troll out, but also giving credence to the fact that maybe he should have answered for it. 
Um, yeah. But anyway, so all that aside, once you realize, like, the only way you're going to be able to evaluate a pedal is to actually use it and play it. Um, that was where it basically ended for me. Because because I looked at it and I said, well, the YouTube clips don't sound much different than the original than the original clips do. Yeah. Um, and I was like, that's probably because whatever improvements they made to the circuit are so minor. You'd have to A, B the pedal against each other that's, to really see yeah. what the improvement is. But there are people that chase that one to one to, you know, one to one yeah, half yeah. percent difference, you know, thinking yeah. that that one half percent is going to make them sound that much better. And it's just not realistic. Yeah. And, and that's exactly what I was going to get to is that that these are improvements. And, and again, Wampler himself said that there were things that he wanted to make changes with with the with the pinnacle over the years. So. It's it's fine, <clears throat> and and he's doing refinements to certain places, and you got to remember he's thinking now. Now the pinnacle is sitting in a pedal next to a tumnus. Not everybody has a pinnacle and a tumnus, right? right? So now he's thinking, okay, pinnacle tumnus, tumnus pinnacle, depending on how you wire it, because you wire it just like the Paisley Deluxe. Even just it. being able to adjust the impedance between the two pedals so that they talk properly. Yeah. And I know people are like, oh, well, manufacturers will automatically set their impedance. No, that's not true. Um, no. Oftentimes, they're not even paying attention to what the output impedance is, and that can have a massive effect on the input impedance. Now, right. I've talked so much smack about Rig Doctor on this show before, but um, I watched a video with him doing an interview with Paul Rivera today, and in that conversation, um, Mason talks about input-output impedance and mm -hmm. line level versus uh, yep. you know, instrument level. And talking about the conversion processes and the challenges that that creates. And both, and of course, Paul Rivera, I have deep respect for, um, he yeah. goes on at length about, you know, how hard it is to design a circuit with a buffer that can that can accommodate that. And how important it is that we do that in order to get the best possible goods out of our stuff. And exactly. now, the funny part is, I think Paul still sort of comes from the school of, let's make the impedance hi-fi style instead of let's make, you know, like let's make your guitar sound like it was supposed to into a fuzz phase kind of thing. Um, Cause that's obviously an impedance mismatch that creates some of that. And that's, that's yep. a weird situation to find yourself in. But I just thought it was rather interesting that um, that's a, a preference thing, right? Like going back to this idea of preferences and how your preferences, your tastes preface all this and then modifying that, that particular circuit so that it would work with another circuit or even just upgrading the components. Maybe, maybe they're using the same IC that's in the rat, the rat clone, you know? Right. And, and, um, a thing I noticed about Andy, Andy Woods, right. That's who it was. Mm -hmm. Um, a thing I noticed about Andy Woods and what he was using when he did the demo of it was pretty much telecasters, one with wide range pickups and one with, uh, um, or humbuckers and mm -hmm. one with the regular. Thing. So, he, it, I think it lends itself to the Fender community, which there's no wrong, nothing wrong with that. Um, you know, eventually they'll want to grow up and play Gibsons. Oh, uh, but no. <laughs> I do that. I got a friend of mine. I do that to him all the time. I'm like, one day you'll become a man and you'll play a Gibson. Yeah. But anyway, uh -huh. so um, now it, is that what I, it takes? Yeah, no. <laughs> I'm joking, obviously. But. Um, so I noticed that it, it kind of lent itself in that respect. But 
believe it or not, I thought, okay, then then definitely when Wampler does it, he's going to pull out one of his high end. No, he played it with an Epiphone Casino. Sounded great. So, again, I, and but have used, of course, he used his Bravada amplifier, Bravado. Yeah, that, which is basically just a deluxe is, reverb type, type of thing. It's not, and there's really nothing special awesome. about those amps. They're just a flat. No. You know, yep. pedal amp flat response, which is what that's designed to do. Well, they're not. Really, they're not. I want to be clear. They're not flat response, but they're like yeah, a pedal flat. platform. So they're meant to sound right. like a clean amplifier, basically. Yeah, they're meant to sound like whatever put you put into it. Yeah. So yeah, all right. So that that was my first uh, thing. I just wanted to tell everybody that I still think it's a. I still think it's a great idea. I still think it's a great idea for a pedal it's just not something that i would be excited to put on my board all right i'll take the next segment so um we've had this debate on the show before actually back up i bought a dm2 uh w um oh yeah yeah i uh so the wazacraft version of the their original boss analog delay um i love that thing like honestly and i, and I know it's you know people are like oh it's honeymoon or whatever um, I've always loved analog delays. I had a carbon copy for a while, um, which I liked. Uh, I liked that it had modulation on it. That was kind of a nice thing. I, I don't think I ever turned the modulation off, quite frankly. Um, but I always thought they were dark. You know, then they came out with the carbon copy bright, but I thought the carbon copy bright was too bright. So, you know, I needed the Goldilocks. Uh, <laughs> I needed to find that one that was just right. And I think the DM2, even though it doesn't have modulation on it, because it's a big fat sounding delay, I think it's an ex- I think it's kind of an acceptable substitute for my obsession with tape delay. Because I never liked the tape delay sounds where the the tapes were like worn out. I always liked the fresh tape sound in front of an amplifier. You know that kind of thing was an option. Um, so it's going on my board. I I ordered a bunch of stuff to uh to mount it to my board. I got the you know the whatever the one. 28b plate that goes on the bottom of the boss pedals it's flat and all that and um i'm just getting i'm getting my board straightened out i'm getting all the pieces i need to put it together i'm cementing my board and i'm planning not to add anything to it for the remainder of the year um now i am not saying i'm not gonna buy anything and there's not gonna be anything new on my board in the next six months but i'm trying to make it difficult on myself because i have intentions long term of um upgrading to a slightly bigger board with a switching system on it um the i'm probably just going to do the es5 go cheap um just because i want to be able to control my amplifier channels um i've had some issues just playing around the house and hitting the fuzz on the wrong channel and like it sounds awful and i don't want to get into a situation where i'm doing that all the time live and it has to do with somewhat with my pedal board layout and some other pieces of that but um that's kind of the thought process is driving this decision. Um, so with that, and this is probably the more interesting part of this, um, I have some pedal board supplies, which I probably, you probably know about this stuff. If you've never built a, um, a pedal board before, I think this is good content. Um, so I have these guys, which are, Cable mounting yep. tie downs, and that should be able to autofocus. But if it doesn't, I have um, a whole bunch of those. Yep. Um, basically, they're adhesive on the back. These are not the, the you know the super nice marine ones, um, but I don't plan on doing a lot of marine touring, and I'm not world touring, not. so I think you should be fine. Um, and basically, you stick them to your board in a line or however you want to do it, 
and you zip tie your cables now. Now, I used to be the guy that was like, well, I don't want to zip tie them down. What if something goes bad? Then I'm going to have to pull everything off. Listen, when you can get on Amazon and you can buy, it's here somewhere. I did that too. Bought a big bag of little zip ties. Yeah, the, the, like the two-inch zip ties or whatever, four-inch zip ties. Yep. I bought a bag for like $7.99. I got a 1,000 of them. I was literally putting yep. them on and cutting them off the other day while I was working on it. Because I'm like, yep. we just want to get it tied down so that everything runs in the correct way. And I realized like I'm running my board with the patch cables from the board prior. So I don't really actually have the right lengths. And so I said, I'm, I'm going to have to make new cables. Um, now, granted, we, we talked about, so I have actually sitting on my desk because I've been going through bins. Um, Soldered and solderless. Solderless cables, right? These are George L's. And this is a popular option for people who have not built a ton of boards and are not really comfortable with a soldering iron. Um, there are reasons why you might not want to use this, and I'll go over that in a minute. But um, basically, I am going soldered again. I'm using uh, Mogami 2319. And uh, I'm going to square plugs, so I actually ponied up and got nice plugs um, because I'm planning on keeping this board for quite some time. Um, and so the reason why what, – what, what I really wanted to talk about with regards to this is um, – so George Ellis Cable, right? I don't have the capacitance sitting in front of me at the moment. I could look it up. Um, this cable is really, really bright, and I've had – conversations with show listeners and other people and I, I'm not going to dispute what they say but I'm but I will I will point out this is bright cable you can cut the ends off this you can actually use this cable with an existing plug solder it on and you're going to have a damn bright cable it's going to be very high fidelity um it's going to be kind of clunky because this this stuff's like it it's I don't know if you can see that it's really thin but it's like it holds its shape real well it's actually kind of hard to run on a board. Like a lot of people bend it while they're putting it together and it's not solid core, um, which I cut. I actually sacrificed some to find out because uh, I was having a conversation about that with somebody. But um, people talk about cable and uh, this is this is uh, going back to Rig Doctor. He talks about and, and also Paul Rivera in the video talked about you want to use soldered cables if you're going to be touring in any sort of environment where you're going to have air, you know, liquid corrosion kind of stuff anything that's going to be exposed to the air basically but here's the deal so i i tend to agree with them um if you if you want a solid connection like where you can't break it and it can stand up a lot more abuse with with good um uh tension on the you know on the plug itself and stuff so that so that the the wire is not moving around and pulling on the uh, the leads as they're attached to the uh the grounds and you know, the connection. Um, yeah, solder. That's the way to go. Um, but they, they say, well, it's not gas tight. When I hear that, I cringe. And I'll explain why. Um, I'm in the telecom field. I'm I'm IT guy, right? So I've been doing wiring installations for companies for a long time for digital signal cables. It's much smaller wire, stranded, usually, sometimes solid core. And do you know that all of your telephone equipment is usually terminated without solder? I mean, it's punch down block. Oh, it's two pieces of metal that go like this and accept the wire and then close on it. 
Okay, I can tell you this from coming from uh, National Telecom. Yeah. That see, is a see, fact then. from your home, from the back mm-hmm. of your phone, and remember the old wired phones? Yeah. To the, all the way through your house to the what we call the NID or the network interface device, which is where you were responsible and we were responsible, all the way back to the next tie point, to the next tie point, to the switch... The only place that's soldered is in the actual, it, um, anyone who knows what the switching equipment looks like, the OE or operating equipment that controlled your line, your specific line. So you had your own card, okay? That's the only solder point you had. For some people, 12, 15 miles. <laughs> so <clears throat> to say that you can't control... Um, your guitar signal from, I don't know, you know, 14 feet away. <laughs> I'm pretty sure you're okay. I, you, you know, you don't have squirrels chewing on it or freaking. <laughs> well, so, so, so that's what I was going to say. So like, yeah, are they right? Yes, they're absolutely right. Like the biggest thing, the biggest problem in telecom is corrosion, right? Yep. And, and specifically salt corrosion. You get in the yep. spring, those guys are so damn busy fixing like, downed wire basically under oftentimes under the ground or you know up on a pole somewhere maybe up on a tower that it's like yeah i see i i I totally understand and respect their opinion on this but i also think that those are totally and vastly different circumstances where that stuff holds up really freaking well and i want to point out something else stranded cable we just mentioned that right that's not a gas type connection. You can get corrosion anywhere, including on your solder joint. So why in the yep. hell would it make a difference if it's on this end of the electrical system, this end of the electrical system, this part of the electrical system, or this end of the electrical system? Corrosion is corrosion. It doesn't matter. That's right. It doesn't matter. That's absolutely right. And so, I mean, I get it. You want it because some jackass could pull on your soldered cables real hard and pull the tips off if they're if they're you know pulling them with a truck um that could be a problem but you're not gonna like a mechanical connection like solder is gonna be tougher than that and that's basically what it's about right it's about stability here not necessarily the corrosion as much which is what i was this one i've been trying to articulate this for weeks because i've been thinking about it and i'm like i'm totally fine and comfortable saying i'm happier with soldered cable only because I have I have more control over my sound, but also because I know they're a little bit more bulletproof, just a little bit. Because I've had so like not cables like this because I don't use these anymore, but I've had uh, patch cables go bad live, or you get to a gig and you think they're bad because you made them yourself and you're like oh shit, and you start pulling things and running all these different cables trying to figure out what's going on. And of course I explained on on that one episode like that ended up happening. Excuse me. <coughs> that ended up happening to me and what I, what it ultimately resulted in was um me realizing i had the volume knob turned down on my king of tone um so it wasn't passing signal it wasn't the cable at all which so i also bought a cable tester um to do all this stuff and um all told so to get into making your own cables you're gonna spend some money you're gonna buy soldering iron 30 bucks 40 bucks to all the way up to whatever you want to spend um, and then your cable supply. So to do my board, I'm, I'm making, I bought this stuff to make 14 cables. 
Um, some right angle, some straights, just whatever works best for the given situation, um, which is probably more than I need. But I wanted to have a little bit of extra scrap also just to have them around in case I need them. Um, and uh, for and power. So I'm doing power too this time. This is the first time I've made DC cables. But I'm tired of dealing with... So if you've bought a power supply, Jim, I know you've got a power supply. You get those one-size-fits-all cable. And you end up with like five extra inches for like half your pedals. Or you yep. end up with the, the or you want one that's straight across your entire board. <laughs> it's like, seriously, this cable costs less than a nickel a foot. And you're telling me that you can't give me an extra four inches? I would rather them give me long ones than give right. me short ones. And anyway, yep. they never give you so like Voodoo Lab. They give you all their uh, they give you like four corner corner jack ones and then they give you like four straight ones and then the corner jack ones are a different length than the straight ones. And then like they also give you all these like mis you know mix like mishmash of other cables and then you can buy additional cables direct from voodoo lab and i'm thinking i'm looking at the prices number one and i'm going holy crap you know these are not that expensive and on top of that they're not going to be the right damn length i'm going to end up with a 24 inch you know not nine volt cable for a pedal that's only eight inches away like kind of deal and or, and or vice versa i'm going to have to get the nine inch cable for the pedal that's like 18 inches away um and it just doesn't like it, it ends up just making everything a mess so i have like four pedal boards worth power supplies worth of cables laying around and i still was struggling to find the right connectors and connections so i said screw it i'm wiring my own power because i said at this point i can buy soldered dc jacks and i can have them perfectly aligned um so that's what I'm going to do. Uh, there's some other tips that I can give people. Um, number one is like, you know, talk about power supplies. Not all power supplies are created equal. You definitely want to get something that's isolated. Uh, I would look for a switching supply. That seems to be the standard these days. Uh, even Voodoo Lab's new new uh, power supplies are, are switching. Or they use some different fancy form of a transformer because transformers put off electromagnetic interference. And in certain cases, it's going to cause problems. Uh, I have never, and, and Jim, you know, I've owned probably a hundred pedals at this point. I've never had a pedal that was, that was, uh, prone to magnetic interference, but apparently it's a thing. And some people bitch and complain and say, you shouldn't buy a Voodoo Lab Pedal Power Plus 2 because it has a transformer in it. Listen, lots of people use those for a really long time without ever caring whether it had a transformer in it. Now, some people got pissed because they take them overseas and then somebody put 240 volts through them and fry them. And that's why they went to the switching supplies. That's really the reason. Okay. If there was no, no different power overseas, they would be running all of this stuff on the same transformers. They already were. Um, it's the same thing as the, the, uh, the amp one. He designed that with a switching power supply because he knew it was going to be subjected to all kinds of different voltages. Uh, you bought you bought one of those. Did they give you the other adapters for for uh, foreign countries? Yeah, I figured they would, because that was like part of the selling point. Yeah. So you use a regular IEC mains in, 
And then the other end, there's an adapter that goes into the wall that adapts you to whatever power you're plugging into. Yep. Um, now, so power supply, all that stuff. Another thing that's been said to me is don't put your power supply underneath your board. Uh, because apparently it orients your transformer underneath the pedal. Like you might put pedals directly on top of it. God forbid, because what does everybody do, right? They get their, and, and I, <laughs> Rig Doctor talks about this. Mason from Vertex talks about this. He says, put, you know, be careful because if you put your power spline in your board, you're going to be mounting pedals around right top of it. So inevitably, what does he do in every single video? He puts the power supply underneath a riser and then he puts pedals on top of it. And I'm going, is that riser an adequate shield? You know what I mean? Like, it's not a Faraday cage, buddy. It's the same shit. Um, I, or, or my personal favorite is the, uh, well, you know, you don't have to separate your your power and your uh, audio cable. No, you really don't. In, in, in practice, you really don't. But should right. you? I mean, science says yes. Because especially if you have transformers, you're going to have electromagnetic fields carried by any of the DC coupling cables that are used. So theoretically, if you already have a problem with a transformer on your board, you probably shouldn't be running those cables right on top of one another. Just saying. Um, and it doesn't take much to actually isolate them on a cable that size passing that kind of voltage. It could be a centimeter apart. Um, and actually what I do, just because I'm anal... Actually, the real reason I do it, I'll, I'll explain the real reason I do it, because it has nothing to do with voltage. But So one of these guys, I put power on one side, audio on the other, and we tie them down to one rail apiece. Yeah. What's the problem? And then cross everything in 90 degrees, just like you do in a music studio. When you build something in a music studio and you want low noise, that's what you do. You cross all your power at 90 degree to your audio. And preferably, if you can get away with it, you find a way to route your power cables so they're always one foot away from your audio cables. That's why people don't realize those racks are so deep. Why are the units that go in them only this big? Because they're routing the power a foot away from it and then dropping it down and dropping the signal cables right off the back of the unit so they never touch. That's why. Um... Just little things that that I know that I've seen in my travels that just like irritate me because people are like, no, there's no science behind that. Nobody does that. For, you know, listen, people have been doing it for 50 years in music studios. I think somebody figured something out at some point along the path. Uh, I don't think people do go to great lengths to do things like that unless there's something behind it. Um, can you make records if you run your cables together? Sure. Sure. Can you, will your rig sound good if you run your cables good? Maybe. Probably. Pro I gotta say probably because I do it all the time. But um, I'm going to do it right. And if I'm going to take the effort to do it right, I'm going to do it right. I'm literally going to go as far as I can, balls to the wall, like sonically the best way it should be. Um, and if somebody told me, well, you know, the white noise is generated by your power supply. Uh, and the cables in proximity to your audio cables will make everything sound bigger and more 3D. And it was true. I'd be like, hell yeah, let's do it. Um, doesn't matter to me. Uh, but I just and I'm not speaking from experience on this stuff. I'm just speaking from what I've read. I know that I we have we have a local pedal, pedal builder here, pedal board builder here who's who's really damn good. And uh, he would probably tell he would probably laugh at some of the things that I'm saying. 
Because because he like he's like it just in practice it doesn't mean anything. That's like, I'm gonna do it, you know. Um, why wouldn't I go all the way? You know, I wouldn't just try to do it to make it faster. <laughs> yeah. It, so, you know, if, you're, if anything's worth doing, it's worth doing it right. It's kind of my mentality, and I know that's probably. I'm sure there's some people like just get it done quick and dirty, and that's fine. Um, and if you've got those kind of gigs where like, <laughs> shit, you're gigging three nights a week, and you got to put your pedal to, pedal board together the day of the gig, yeah, of course, absolutely, you know burn the uh the, the candle at both ends and get it done but uh in my situation it's kind of like i got the luxury to do this so i'm gonna um there's a lot of myths jim i mean i guess that's what i'm what i'm putting out there i'm sure a lot of this stuff you maybe you never even thought about um because well, yeah, you got a couple boards now yeah i mean one of the things that that you gotta remember when it comes to bleeding frequencies is it's got to be pretty high frequency Sure. So, you know about as much as about a twisted pair as I do. Um, the cable that they use to send your guitar down, not likely to to go over. Now that said, that possibly the power could if it's got if it's got AC riding on the DC power. Right. Um, right. You can, or a bad ground in a pedal or something like. You'll yep. have to have something wrong in the system for there to be a real issue. Right. So, but would I sit there and wrap them together? No, <laughs> I would, I would run them apart anyway, but. Well, the, re um, the real reason to run them apart, and this is what I, I neglected to mention. The real reason to run them apart is so that when I have to troubleshoot on my board, if I, if I look at my board and I go, this pedal's not lighting up. Right. Then I go, it's cut about the, power, cut the power lines and replace the power cable instead yep. of, oh shit. I have to cut all the cables off my board and find the one yep. that's bad. You right. know what I mean? Like it, it would yep. be better to have them separate just for that reason alone. I um, go the extra length of actually color coding the two ends mm -hmm. of power. Um, I do that too. I don't need, label them. Yeah. I don't need to do that to the, to the, the audio cable because it's obvious that typically it's going to be the pedal next to it, or I'm going to know if it was weirdly, done so that's not a problem the the thing that um i like to do personally is i like to run um uh you know i'll use this little it's just this little piece of electrical tape literally and i have seven or eight different colors and i color code them and then just like in a resistor if i have to have two reds i just put a black ring with a marker around the two ends of one of them. And then, you know, because that's how resistors, you know. You, yeah, right, right, it, right. You know, you use color coding on a resistor to see. That system um, is such a nightmare. Yeah, <laughs> and it is. But this way I know, okay, that one's feeding this one and that, you know, so on and so forth. So, but, we, you know, I think we have a similar um, way of looking at that. Um, um, go ahead. There was, so... There was another piece of this. Um, so along with the power and flexibility and understanding that like something breaks, the good reason to keep your solderless cables once you've graduated out of these guys is if something breaks. Because if you have 10 foot of this in your bag and two ends, yep. click, you click. can cut a cable and you can just zip tie it right on the top of the board or something and get through the gig. 
and they're flexible and they're small, so at least it's not a horrendous fix. But in a pinch, okay. Um, I have hundreds of dollars worth of George L's leads, like the the M's and stuff. In fact, I totaled them all up. I was going to sell them at one point. I haven't sold them yet. I am going to sell them. Um, and I will put them up in the group when I do. Uh, I would still be using George L's for certain applications. Like if I was a country player because I'd won all that treble. Uh, yeah, George L's, man. Uh, I Even just the cable is like gold for that. I, I I have never used a cable that is as bright as George L's, and it was borne out in the capacitance numbers when I evaluated uh, what cable I was going to move to. So I was looking at Mogami, and I was looking at Belden, Canary, and Gotham, and they all make different products, but I was looking at a, different, a couple of different varieties, and I went with Mogami um, because it has uh, a warmer sound because the capacitance bears it out, and actually it does. It's a much fatter-sounding cable because there's no trouble to it. It rolls off a lot of it. It's not as bad as a coily cable. <laughs> uh, not in any way. But you definitely, if you run 10 feet of it on your board, you're going to notice. Um, it's definitely a uh, warmer sound than what I was getting with the George L's with 10 feet of George L's on my board. Um, and in fact, I did uh, I did a B test and I never posted the results um, because I didn't think that there was enough there to even care about. For most people, it wouldn't have been because I only did like two feet. Um, there really wasn't that much difference in the two feet. Uh, I know and I've talked about maybe doing it where I'll take 10 feet and show the difference because 10 feet is probably on average what people most people are running on their board. Um, and you and you can bear you can definitely hear it. I, I, I mean, I can hear it out of the, the two, but I don't think most people would be like he's holding the pick differently or something. And it's like. Not really, because I played it through a looper. <laughs> it's like, um, and I used the same cable to run it into the looper. So, um, I don't know. It's a whole thing. And you could actually, there are other people that have done testing like that. Paul Rivera talked about in the video. He's like, yeah, we, we did testing. And he talked about a couple of different cable solutions they were using. They were using a ham radio cable at one point. Um, and I think one of the other ones was like uh, some sort of telephone cable. Um, which, which is not RJ, you know, 45 style cable, but it was like some other specific, specific telephone cable. And, um, you know, it really just comes down to this. What works for you? Um, making sure that it's solid and rock solid, right? Routing your cables in a way that makes sense to you and, um, just getting it done. I mean, so like. I've done it enough times now. This board's going to look really good when it's done. In fact, I think I sent you pictures of my previous board. Maybe I'll pop them up in the um, podcast here. Uh, the board that, as it currently stands right now, I had that routed exceptionally well for having excess cable and stuff. Um, so, I mean, I would not even bat an eye about taking that to a gig the way it is right now. So, anyway, that that's that segment. I'm I've had enough talking about uh uh things that are probably gonna get me in trouble with with various people because uh <laughs> i i'd speak with many hey, some, many show listeners i have friends who are devotees of solderless and i have friends that are devotees of soldered cable and i have heard many weird things from both sides 
which is really funny because I'm kind of in the middle and I'm like, I'm the only one sitting here going, it's just capacitance, guys. It's just capacitance. The sound of a solderless cable is capacitance versus a soldered cable. It's just capacitance. There's literally no other difference except for reliability if you're putting your board through hell. Um, and to put it in perspective, for the people that say that solderless is horrible and it's you know the devil and should be wiped from the face of the earth and you know expunged, here, one of my local shops, they build boards for people. There are over 100 boards in service that they have done that remain in service, most of them, um, unless the user decides to change pedals out or goes to somebody else and gets it done, that were done with George L's. And to my knowledge and to their knowledge, there haven't been any failures. So it is what it is. I mean, sure, is it less reliable? Absolutely. It's that's I mean, that's like a fact. But the reality is how less reliable is it? That's a good question. Exactly. That's yep. a good question. Um, common sense tells us we shouldn't do it, but you know, common sense. Common sense tells us we should not build our uh, build our power grid and electric grid, or not our power grid, our uh, telephone community electric telephone communication grid on punch down blocks. But we do it anyway. You know when you're you know when you're like, um, have you ever been in an area where your utilities suck, Jim? And like, there's constantly problems with the phones and stuff. And then like you call them out. I had this happen. I had a client that was in an area that was notoriously bad, a town called Franklin Park. Um, and uh, all of the telecom lines and stuff were laid in like the 40s and 50s. And most of it had not been updated at all. So they had, um, and this was not that long ago. So this is kind of embarrassing. They had a T1 with uh, like one meg down or some stupid bad number like that. And they were running an entire organization on this. Uh, a one meg T1? Yeah, with like 30, okay. 30 people in the office or some shit with like a one meg T1. And, um, yeah. and it was divided. Some of it was voice. So it was divided. It wasn't even a full T1. Um, and so this whole thing was like, it's just it was just a nightmare, right? And they had they had internet problems constantly. Internet would go completely down. I'd go upstairs, I'd kick the Adtran, which was their uh, their T1 modem. I would I would pull the plug and restart it, which I'm not supposed to do. And then we we actually found out where their their DMARC card was, which was in their building. It was in their factory downstairs, underneath the stairs by a um, a slop sink. Quite normal, for some reason. Oh yeah, because they just put it wherever the fuck they want it. Like y you know that. I mean, I, I, it's it's like here we'll just put it next to this water heater. Yep. That sounds like a good idea. Like yep. who who authorized you put it? So I actually convinced them to move it. This is a client of mine. I convinced them to move it. They put it upstairs. Next tech comes out. He sees it upstairs. He's moving it downstairs back to where it was. I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? He brought it. He brought in a new cage to hold the, the cards, and I'm like, I just sat there and I shook my head. I was like, this is this is about par for the course, right? But um, they told me one time they came out, they had the panel off the wall, and I could see all the punch down block inside, and they had all the tags for all the different neighbors and stuff, and uh, whatever you know lines they were connected outside, and he was just he was just pulling the lines out, and I'm going, Do, people are connected to those. He's like, who gives a shit? I'm like. Uh, okay. And he was basically saying like the, the people on the, the lines in this the lines in this neighborhood are so bad 
He's like, we just redo them when we open these boxes up. And and he was like, uh, he was telling me like, he pulled, he showed us our line. There was like, I mean, you could see visible rust on it. And he's like, yeah, we're gonna replace this. You're gonna get your, you're gonna get the guy next doors. And then when he complains, their their people are gonna come out, and then they're gonna swap it for the guy next door. <laughs> you know, and it's just gonna be this big like, everybody's gonna be swapping it until they finally come out and lay new cable. And yeah. I just sat there and I just put my head in my hands, and I was like, I was really young at the time. I was probably like 25 years old. We call just, swapping pairs. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what it they're normal. doing. And they'd come out and they'd do it every three months. Something would happen mm-hmm. and every three months they'd come out and swap pairs. And I know Until sometimes somebody, we were getting swapped, which is why all you, we were getting, all you've got to do is contact the SEC and say, this has got to end. We need because believe it or not, they want to do the right thing. The problem is budget. But when the SEC says to do it, now they can go to the state and they can say, hey, we need to do this because they might, they might need right of way because they might need to pull cable through some through new uh, conduit or whatever. And in our state, it, it, there's, there's a, a whole lot in our state. There's a lot of issues with that because our state's very corrupt. And yeah, so you could I call know. the SEC and they would just be like, yeah, <laughs> you're in Franklin Park. You're screwed. Yeah. You know, like we're not touching you, that with a 10 foot pole. So. Um, one of the things like a lot of people will not know, I'm going to tell you a couple of little secrets from the inside. So one is the reason that AT&T was first to, um, market with 4G was because they paid everybody else to keep their fiber dark. Yeah. And the funny part of the funnier part of it is the fiber they rode to their towers belonged to the other companies. Yeah. Like in your area, it's there's Metro something. <laughs> Metrocom. Uh, yeah. Yep, Metrocom. And we had some. Verizon had some. And um, and then, of course, AT&T had some. Believe it or not, Metrocom and us provided as much fiber as they did. <clears throat> um, the, uh, uh, the other side of it is that uh, um, uh, that when it comes to that, so let's say – You'll you'll go to your neighbor like I, I don't know what your situation is, but let's say you have a um, you have a block of houses. Yeah. And you might have street A that's parallel to street B mm-hmm. that the, the 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 houses literally meet with a rear fence. Yeah. <clears throat> street A has fiber and coax um, cable. I've run into um, this. And the other one doesn't. Uh-huh. And you're like can't i get fiber because now i'm i'm literally stuck in a monopoly no no you can't because what happens is again like you said the cable company pays off the you know the the local politicians to say hey don't let those fiber guys through here and we'll do it we'll word it in such a way that it looks like it's because we're saving some freaking rare squirrel or some dumb shit like that when in reality, their freaking lines are running right through there. There's a piece of conduit already there. The fiber, which releases absolutely no EMI because it's fiber, which is glass and light. <clears throat> um, <laughs> that doesn't do anything. Novel concept. <laughs> How about that? Um, so, yeah, it's a, it's it. when I had to go through that stuff because um, I lived in what they call facilities and I also did uh, – uh, what they call in inside network, and I'll tell you some of the stuff I went through to just get ten feet of 
effing cable between two because oftentimes like the twin towers were a prime example they were towns cities of it, it, among themselves in a in a weird way it's a it, it you can't really call them city because yeah but they had like the way they were set up is like they have this giant room in the basement where all the cable yep. terminates and like actually was all the way up yeah and sometimes yeah sometimes it's at the top <laughs> too like yeah yeah they had their own switches and uh you know and so not all the way up but quite a ways <clears throat> um but so they had their own switching they had their own networks they had their own um you know stuff that we fed from the main switching but that's normal in a large place I've yeah but we had that in our building the, too yeah main the, the the size of literally a town or, or a city because they've got several thousand phone lines um and you know faxes and of course t1s t3s um oc you know 48s oc 120 i mean <clears throat> we could go on and on um so uh that that's a you know it, it's a thing that that a lot of people don't appreciate but you get down to what does i got to do with guitar gear and it's this a lot of people who who engineer at this level are forgetting that guitar is pretty guard darn simple. There's yeah. some wires. You live within what? Two a much to, smaller band of what you deal, two with, to when you deal with. this other K, stuff. Yeah. Right? I mean, it's just not that much. We've only got the audible frequencies that matter. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, telecoms all over short. the place. I mean, they they yeah. use every available avail available amount of bandwidth they can squeeze through a through a Cat Six. I mean, it's crazy. Oh yeah. Um, actually, I was going to share as it applies to guitars. So this is a this is a standard that actually happens in the the um, telecom community. You're not supposed to run Cat Five or Cat Six within a foot of fluorescent lighting. Yep. Now, unless you're in a really fancy office building where they actually hang a plenum that the cable yep. sits in and that plenum has been designed to be a foot away from the fluorescent lights. I am yeah, willing to guarantee you <laughs> your building is not spec. Nope. And do you have network problems? Ask yourself that. Do you have network problems that are like, yeah. you know, indicative of just network, like general network mischief? Cause it's be like drop packets and things like that. Probably not. Exactly. In fact, I had many, many clients where I would come out and they'd work on their network and I never took a look at their wiring until something blew up. And then it was like, yeah, we probably should rewire this for you because you guys, whoever did your wiring, just ran them right over the fluorescent lights up there, which is a fire hazard too. But, um, but it's like people seem to think that guitar equipment and gear and signal routing and all that stuff is like, because it, it's their hobby, they get really, really freaky about it. You know, it's like, my God, I have to use this, you know, this this $500 Mogami cable with gold plugs. It's like, guys, wait a minute. Do you think anybody in the 60s was using a $500 Mogami cable with gold plugs? And get, that's the sound you're after. Like, what the hell are you on? Um, And also, like, like I just said, it doesn't really matter what the spec says because there's just differences. I can tell you this, this cable, even though I said it was really bright and it's all capacitance, it does have a frequency curve to it. And, mm -hmm. and like the mid range will be different from cable to cable, regardless of the top end. And you can hear that. 
So I, I want to, I want to kind of back things up a little bit. I I can talk till I'm blue in the face about like, you know, is this a solderless solder versus solderless conversation? No, it's not really. It's more about just finding what works for you and doing it in a way that makes sense, rather than I've seen so many flat boards with people using HOSA cables and like. Hosa cables, okay, so depends on the Hosa cable because the cheap Hosa cables are awful. Some of the more expensive ones are okay, but you're going to end up with all this extra shit to deal with that you don't want to deal with. So spend the extra five bucks. Yeah. There, Jim, um, as we close this out, I'm going to leave with with this in mind. Ernie Ball, um, there's another company that's making flat patch cables. Those are great. Um, mm-hmm. Ernie Ball makes them as well. You can get Pancake Jack cables from pretty much every company under the sun um, nowadays. And uh, even just simple right angle jacks are fine. That's uh, that's an Ernie Ball. Yep, that's an Ernie Ball. You can get a three-pack of these, super cheap, cheaper than yeah, like and wireless flat. It's definitely cheaper yeah. than what I'm going to make. Yeah. 100%. So... Um, yeah. so, you know, just buy some decent damn cables. Uh, yep. I, I will say this. I've had my negative experiences with solderless cable vis-a-vis friends and stuff who've had like lava cable and it's cheaper than George L's. Well, George L's was yeah. the first on the scene, right? George L's uh-huh. is premium stuff. They got people like Eric yep. Johnson backing them up and they went um, out and they, you know, oh yeah. So now there's lava cable, which is like $2.00 cheaper total per cable you know it's like guys it's two dollars i it's two dollars so i i had a little i'll i'd like to dovetail on your cable thing i was at the store i was at guitar center uh, waiting for my lesson and uh this guy comes in he goes oh that's really funny 18.6 feet and he goes, uh, geez, they can't give me one more foot or, you know, and I'm like, there's a reason it's 18.6 feet. Cause it's three inches extra goes, on either end. What? He goes, why? I said, because that's where you start to get high end loss. So if you have 18 point or, or if you have, um, 17 feet, you're going to notice the loss for sure. So 18.6 is where uh, they can safely yeah. go. Okay. We're not going to have signal loss. I never thought um, about I never thought about that on those particular pieces, but you're absolutely right. Um, I've yeah. actually seen situations where they will, they will. So like this is not a good example because the right angle like literally terminates right there. But they'll right. say, let's say this is an eight inch cable, and they will yep. measure the quarter inch jack. Yes, <laughs> and say yep. that's you know part of the, that's part, part of the measurement. Of the, <laughs> it's like, yep, it's not really eighteen point six. It's only eighteen. The other three inches are yeah. inside the quarter inch. Plug. And that's right. And that's it. Yeah. And <laughs> so the guy goes, and I said that includes the tips. And yeah. the guy goes, "Is that real?" And uh, everybody was like, "Yeah, yeah, it's real." As a matter of fact, um, uh, I know that that uh, uh, Brian Wampler did a whole show on talking mm-hmm. about how. You have signal loss. He goes, he goes, I don't re- recommend cables much longer than 18 feet as a result. So he likes to keep his his under 16 feet. It, ha- it has to do oh. with uh, the capacitance again. 
So yep. at a certain length of, you know, you have more roll off in a specific range based on the certain length of footage. And there's a, there's a number you can use, but, but the vast majority of guitar cable will go 18 feet and then you'll start yep. to have signal loss after 18 feet. So everybody who goes to the store and buys 20 foot cables, cause everybody does it right. I have probably five 20 foot cables and the reality is I've already shot myself in the foot, right? If I'm looking for every p bit of information coming out of my guitar, um, really anything over 10 foot, I've shot myself in the foot because at that point there's so much capacitance that you're losing something. You may not be able to audibly hear it, but you're losing stuff. Right. And it's now those just a country fact. guys, yeah, and a lot of those country guys, that's the first place they're going to notice it mm -hmm. is that high end. Um, yeah. because that's what they get. Well, if they can still um, hear it. <laughs> there, there, there is definitely a questionable thing. I mean, let's face it. There's always that questionable, um, point, um, that is it really worth the argument when it comes to, uh, you know, live performance versus what I hear on stage and blah, 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 blah. And I look at it this way because we're coming up on our hour. Yeah, well, let's so let's let's do one more fifteen minute segment, and I already know what we're going to talk about. Well, go ahead. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm going to say this: even if you can hear it, and and it should, there's 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 two things to think about. There's one, it sh the sound you hear on stage should inspire you to play. I know this: if I can't hear my guitar, I can't play. Okay, and I and maybe that's just me. I know some people they play mechanically. I can't do it. I have to play audibly. And yes. uh, I was I was telling my guitar instructor last week. We were sitting in the room, and he goes, "Jim, you, you I play something. You play it. I play it. You play it." And I said, "Yeah, but that's because I can hear you play it." And then I respond to it, and I I could. He goes, because you sometimes play something different. And some, I go, well, sometimes I'm doing Colin's response. Sometimes I'm just trying to figure out what you did and can I do it differently because my fingers are smaller or, you know, um, I'm not com as comfortable because you're playing a different guitar than I am. And so that's uh, – and I've been trying to keep playing the same guitar each time. So I bring, I bring Pearl each time to, to keep that um, steady. Um, and it, I think it helps each time you go and you and you learn the feel, the, the that feel. So that's part of it. The other part of it is there's the other person that will say, well, the audience doesn't hear the difference. So here's what I say, whatever you want. That's what it should be. Whatever you want. If you want that high end, if you hear it, if you miss it and it helps you, then do it. If it. Does if you want to, you know, the, the audience thing, then do that. But don't put somebody down because it's not what you think is the right way to go. That's what I'll say. Yeah, not yeah. you. I don't think you would do that. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about anyone that's that is that would do that. I don't think that 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 it's fair. We've said know. this on the show before. It comes from another podcast, Sixties Nuggle Hum. There are things that are appropriate <laughs> or inappropriate for a given situation, <clears throat> and that's what that falls into. Is it's a subjective thing. That's um, right. As much as people will try to make it not subjective, it's subjective. Unfortunately, it is subjective, and I will stand by that. I may not stand by, you know, comments I've made about solderless cable before in the past, but I will stand by, I will stand by the fact that all things in guitar are subjective. Um, 
to the degree in which they are subjective, that's questionable. But um, they are all subjective because you will find people out there that will prefer something, even though it's not technically the correct thing to do. So it is what it is. Uh, final segment. Actually, what I wanted to talk about for about 15 minutes, and we'll probably cu- I'll probably cut down some of the previous segment. Final segment. Hearing loss. And uh, I, I actually want to talk about hearing loss because we talked about signal loss. So it makes sense to talk about hearing loss because it's, I mean, it's a related concept, right? Um, so uh, everybody should be wearing plugs on stage. Um, I have been guilty many times of forgetting my plugs and not wearing them on stage. Fortunately, the last time I did it, my ears weren't ringing. So thank God I didn't, you know, I didn't do any more damage than I've already done. Um, but I think people tend to tend to assume that, you know, their hearing is okay unless they're told otherwise. I can tell you the vast majority of people I play with, albeit drummers, guitarists, bass players, um, have, have hearing loss. They do. Um, they may not know they have hearing loss. I have heard people... Uh, cranking up treble that just doesn't need to be there. Um, and I don't think, and it like to the point where it's unpleasant, it's physically unpleasant to be in front of your, you know, amplifier. I think some of that's also because, you know, people point amps at their ankles. Um, but like drummers, because they're, they're a foot away from their cymbals most of the time. And cymbals are the one thing in a band that just totally wrecks your ability to hear high frequencies. Uh, I can say that I don't want to stand next to drummers anymore when i'm on stage it there's something i I noticed i already have some high frequency hearing loss you can find a lot of engineers who have high frequency hearing loss apparently mutt lang can't hear like anything above like 15 15 uh kilohertz or some crazy weird because of the perfectionist that he is Uh, well apparently he has he has high frequency hearing loss starting at like 2k um which should tell you something he's mixing a lot based on the mid-range and for some reason he's found that magic stuff that also filters into the high end and the harmonics and all that stuff and probably also relies a lot on gear that he knows um to get away with it and apparently this is like a real i I mix magazine did an article on this and this is a real problem in the engineering world there's a lot of people with high frequency hearing loss who are like multi-platinum producers who are still producing like that like still putting out big hit records that cannot hear high frequencies out at all whatsoever. Um, which is pretty wild to me because I mean, when was the last time you heard a record that was like the highs were just cutting your head off, which sort of makes you wonder how much of that's being fixed in mastering. Um, but I can tell you, I, I know at least two people who've told me they have high frequency hearing problems. Uh, and they actually asked me, to listen to their stuff. Uh, at least once I've, I've had that asked of me from one of them. And the other guy was like, after he was done, he was like, yeah, sound okay. And I was like, yeah. Um, but like asked me to help them tweak their things because they can't hear their high end. And it's kind of funny. It's like, it's funny, but it's also tragic. So that's why I was like, I wanted to take 15 minutes and just remind people like hearing protection, especially if you're younger, and you're just getting started with this stuff, don't screw around because you, nope. you only get it once. And once it's gone, it's gone forever. Uh, Jim, I'm sure, you have, I'm sure you have hearing I have, loss. I have tinnitus. I, I, I'm listening to it right now. 
<laughs> it's it's consistent. I mean, it's twenty four by seven. It never goes away. Um, you know, I I recommend getting these. They're called Eros, um, and it's a any sort of eras- protection. Sorry, be erasers. Than them. Yeah, yeah. Anything is better than nothing. But these, uh, you get this little thing, um, and you have it on your key ring. Yep. And so you don't right lose them like I do. You don't forget them like I do. Yep. They're inside there. I don't know if you can see them, but uh, and they're in there all the time. And and I just buy new sets about every quarter. They're not cheap, uh, but when I wear them, I can sing, I can play, I can listen to other people play, I can hear other people sing, and believe it or not, it helps to knock down a little bit of that tinnitus um, that that uh, goes on forever. It goes on all the time. I, I have a little bit of it um, already, and I've had it mm-hmm. basically since I was in high school when I was playing. Um, and Another I didn't thing that, wear any protection back then. That's what caused it, you know. Yep. Another thing that will... Uh, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna dovetail on this and then we'll be done. <clears throat> Another thing that'll knock down some of your hearing: drinking. It's a fact. Um, anyone who thinks that getting drunk or drinking improves it is uh, lying to themselves. It is a fact that uh, drinking um, changes the vascular system, and it Which is uh, required for your hearing to work properly. <clears throat> it, it it literally knocks down hearing, which is why drunks are always, hey, man, how's it going? Come on. <laughs> yeah, it, that's a big part of it. And then it also actually changes the way that the brain interprets sound. Yep. So, I mean, it, it's a double-edged sword. If you can avoid it, don't don't get hammered and go out and play. Um, I'm sure that other mind-altering substances may have similar effects, but alcohol is one of the few that actually affects your cardiovascular system in that way. Um, yep. so it's worth mentioning. It's not permanent damage, like, like not wearing uh hearing protection is though, which that's one thing to keep in mind. Um, this is permanent damage. Like I have, I hear ringing. It's like white noise, but it's, it's there and it's, it's below the surface. Um, yep. it's not enough to be annoying. Cause some people have, have reported that tonight is so bad that it like drives them crazy. Literally. Um, so fortunately I'm not in any shape like that. This is not, you know, saving private Ryan, a, a tank blew a hole in the building next to me, kind of hearing loss. This is, this is like standing in front of a 150 watt solid state amplifier cranked up to seven, um, for too many hours in, in band practice. Cause I was an idiot kind of thing. Yep. All that said, I still recommend turning up your amp. Just make sure you're wearing. Your yeah, definitely wear your hearing protection. And you know the funny thing is, like I, I so the last couple of shows I've been wearing my my plugs, and um, it was funny because I was like, man, I'm not even going to be able to enjoy my sound and all this stuff as I'm going through this process and thinking like maybe I'll just pull one out for a little bit or, um, and it was so funny because like you put them in and you start playing and you never even think about pulling them out. <laughs> it's just like you never even they're even because it just all it does is knock off if you've got the right kind of plugs all it does is just knock off the volume um it doesn't even change the frequency contour that you're listening to so it's literally just like turning everything down 12 db or something um so you can hear yep. yourself think on stage and you yeah. know the bigger problem now jim is that so many people are going to in-ears and especially people who are familiar with wedges they want their in-ears to be loud. And it's like, 
whoa, dude, you got tiny, you got eight tiny speakers in there and you're plugging them into your ear canal using it as a residence chamber and you got them cranked to high hell? Why don't you just blow your eardrums out now? I mean, that's where you're headed. Um, so I caution you, even if you're in a situation where you can enjoy the luxury of the nears, turn them down. Get them as low as you can comfortably go and, and play that way because... Anytime you're in close proximity to your ears, that's not good. Um, which I can remember the first time I was in a music store and somebody was working on an amplifier, uh, like trying to help me, you know, pick out an amp. And I was playing and the guy got down next to the speaker before I played something. And he goes, he looked at me, he goes, you little shit. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I'm sorry. I didn't think about it. I was like, whoops. It's a long time ago. He, he literally turned to me and he goes, you little shit. You know, like, like he thought I was playing a prank on him, you know, it's like, no, no, I just never occurred to me that you'd have it super loud and be right next to it. You Um, know, when you're young, when you're young, you think you're, you're made of bulletproof farmer and, uh, or I did, I guess. And I would stand right in front of the amplifiers. I remember going to see Iron Maiden and being next to the left stage left wall of PA gear and just listening to them blast. And do you think I was wearing earplugs? There's the an, answer is no. <laughs> there is an intense stigma to for a while. And I don't I've never was never a part of it, but I've heard people talk about it, especially in the 80s, like the idea that you didn't wear them because it wasn't cool kind of thing. And I th- I'm sure that went along with the punk aesthetic and all that. And it's like Hardcore bands were literally just turning their amps all the way up and like just going for it. And they don't have any hearing protection whatsoever. And by the way, just because an amp compresses past five on the volume knob doesn't mean it's any easier on your ears if you use that compression to your advantage. Right. <laughs> it actually means it sucks just as bad. You know, it's exactly. Oh. Anyway. All right. Well. Yep, we've been Practical Guitars. I've been David. I've been Jim. And tonight it was good. Cue the music. Ow.